Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hi there, it's Laura Wasser. And if anyone knows how much divorce sucks, it's me. I've been practicing family law for over 20 years, and I've worked on thousands of divorces. Creating peace in families is how I lost my voice. From the top of the food chain all the way down to my very first case, which was my own divorce when I was 25. I wrote the book on divorce, or I wrote a book on divorce. It's called It Doesn't Have to Be That Way, How to Divorce Without Destroying Your Family or Bankrupting Yourself. That book became a bestseller because it presented another option for ending a marriage, one that doesn't necessarily include lawyers and one that leaves more money in both parties' bank accounts and less animosity in their hearts. We created It's Over Easy, the one-stop breakup divorce resource online with the same principles in mind. So welcome to the Divorce Sucks podcast, where we talk about breaking up, getting divorced, and moving on. Good morning. Good morning. We've talked the whole night through. Good morning. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning, Laura. Welcome to the Sunny Side Up <laughs> yes. Report and, and happy post-Independence Day. Yes. Did you have a nice one? May divorce be with you. Jesus. Did you have a good independence? I day? did. It okay. was fantastic. Good. I felt really independent. Good. Good. <laughs> the Sunny Side Up Report on the Divorce Sucks podcast is where my plucky sidekick, Johnny Rains, and I talk about all of the goings on in the world of love, romance, and breakups that we call from the internet and the newspapers yes. and other people's radio shows. <laughs> Today, we're going to hear divorce stories from Grammy Land and Seoul, Korea. Plus, some expert advice about the unsexy talk you should have before and during your marriage and how to protect your money from divorce. First up, Mary J. Mary J. Bly says she's learned to be happy on her own after divorce. I'm grateful. This is from People Magazine Magazine by Janine Rubenstein. The singer and self-proclaimed goddess says she's finally at peace in her own skin after contentious divorce from her former manager, Kendu Isaacs. She was performing recently, and she also just won the BET Lifetime Achievement Award. She finally, after going through such a contentious divorce, says that regarding singing about lost love these days is actually therapeutic to travel back and to relive something again and not have it drive you crazy is a true gift from God. Mary J is awesome. Congratulations on that, as as we talk about all the time. Next chapters and moving on and healing, very, very important, and it's good for us to see some of our role models doing them. Absolutely. From around the world, this time Korea, Korean A-list couple, oh God, I'm going to butcher this, Song Hae Kyo and Song Jong Ki. Yes. Uh, announced their divorce. Annyeonghaseyo to our Korean friends. Um, I was not even aware of uh, their joint nickname, which was Song Song Couple, which makes sense with their names. Yes. But they were widely seen as Asia's answer to American A-list pairings like um, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. And they did announce their divorce last week. And like Pitt and Jolie, who also met as co-stars, the marriage of this pair was only to last two years. 
So rather than blaming and criticizing each other, she wishes to end the marriage in an amicable manner. Song Jung Ki said, oh God, I don't know if that was the male or the female. In any event, Song Hye Kyo asked fans to avoid speculative media reports and comments on the breakup. We should tell people, by the way, that they are no, best known for appearing on the uh, hugely popular romance television series called Descendants of the Sun. You watch that? I haven't caught up in the last season, no. Uh, I see. Okay. <laughs> and next up, a prenup for the rest of us, rethinking the premarital agreement. I, For whatever reason, yes. I have been doing a lot of talking about prenuptial agreements lately, I, whether it's on women's websites or young student groups. This article for Forbes was written by Robert Pagliarini. Now, you can say that so well because you were just in Italy. See. <laughs> <laughs> But I was basically just ordering food and wine in Italy. <laughs> but this this article by Mr. Pagliarini has suggestions for couples to have the unsexy conversations about finances before they get married, as I've told many of you listeners on the Divorce Sucks podcast. And then again, once a year for an annual disclosure of assets and debts, plus an explanation of what a prenup is. It's a great article. Read it. We will have it on the It's Over Easy Insights blog as we do a lot of our stuff. But again, don't be so afraid about a prenup. Having these conversations, and I, I usually tell people not to wait for a full year. I would do it every quarter. I would really, really be checking in about the financial stuff. When you are both kind of vested and involved, you have more of a partnership and I think a stronger s- chance of success. Good advice. And so so th- regarding this article, when in the title when they say Rethinking the Premarital Agreement, if you're not able to afford to have an attorney represent you and your spouse can't afford to have somebody represent them, what are some of the ways that just, you know, basic, I don't want to say poor people, but average people can still benefit from something like this? I think having the conversations that would go into having a prenup, again, if you're going to opt out of whatever the legal scheme in the state where you live, you will need a prenuptial agreement and you will need an attorney. That being said, understanding what each of you is bringing into the marriage, having certain understanding of expectations as to what each of you is going to earn, save, spend, can be really important, even if you don't have a prenup, really having a budget that you both keep to every month, having those discussions, unsexy as they may be, can lead to a windfall, a better understanding. And even if you have like a savings plan and each month you're going to save whatever you've been able to put aside, there can be something really sexy that you end up using that money for. I'll say. Vacations, <laughs> products from our friends at Unbound. Yes, I was thinking of that gold I ring. got the ring, um, ladies. But Thank before, you very much. Before we move on, I just want people out there to know that th- according to this article, the legal fees to create a prenup can cost 5000 to $50,000 or more and much more. I've been there. It is true. I have charged that. <laughs> <laughs> Not to say that that wasn't totally worth it. Of course, every penny, I'm sure. Next up, from CNBC, separate bank accounts will not protect your money in a divorce. Here's what will. And again, this is a friend of ours is featured here. Susan Guthrie. Yes. Yes, she's a very well-respected family law attorney. And she writes, people will think, well, the house is in my name, so I get to keep it. Or I put all of my income into my own separate bank account, so it's all mine. But that's 100% wrong, she says. No matter your state's laws, once you get married, you should never just assume that your assets will remain yours if you get a divorce. Now, Why I is mean, that? 
Because the law is, for example, and we have this happen a lot in the entertainment industry. You have two, you know, let's say actors, and they get married, and they both have business managers. And so this is high wealth. Everybody's supposed to know what's going on. And the business manager says to me, I've kept all of her money and all of her acting fees and residuals in a separate account. We're good. And I said, well, again, everything that she earned on that movie that she did during the marriage is community property. You could have kept it separate, but it's half his. Now, it is true that sometimes the couple will say, we agree. Everything was separate. We'd like to keep it that way. That's fine. But if you don't and you don't have an actual written agreement to that effect, then half of that money in that separate account is going to end up being shared. And so, again... You really, really do need to know the law. And if you are representing people who are, you know, if you're a business manager, an agent, an entertainment attorney, be aware of these things so that you can counsel your your clients the right way. So that is it for the Sunny Side Up report today. Next, Frank Morris from Divorce Lawyers for Men with more about your money and divorce for dudes. Today's world not only looks different from the world of our parents' generation, it actually is fundamentally different. More women are breadwinners now, and more men are stay-home dads. Look around your kids' elementary school, especially if you live in a major metropolis like L.A., Seattle, or New York. These days, there are as many dads as there are moms fulfilling roles of room parents, field trip chaperones, and attending the daytime performances, at least at our elementary school. But even though the sharing of responsibilities is different now than it was when our dads were coming home from a long day of work to mom's home-cooked meal, if that even ever happened, men and women tend to have similar thoughts about divorce. It's terrifying for both genders. Don't get me wrong, for the most part, I believe boys should feel empowered to do anything a girl can, minus the obvious. But, and this may be out of alignment with some of the values of this age of political correctness we're living in, I do think males and females, in fact, often think very differently when it comes to hooking up and breaking up. Today's guest is an expert on the male perspective, and he's turned that expertise into a thriving career as an attorney advocating for men and dads. He's a founding member of the Washington State Trial Lawyer Association's EGLE program. And he's the co-founder of Divorce Lawyers for Men, an online resource for dads that includes a statewide network of law firms in Washington State dedicated to helping men during divorce and other aspects of family law. Welcome to Divorce Sucks, Frank Morris. Thank you for having me on, Laura. I appreciate it. This has always been something that's interesting to me. I've always tried to keep not only my private practice and it's over easy um, online divorce gender neutral. A lot of people think because I'm a woman, I like to represent women more. But I've always been a big proponent of dad's rights, uh, fathers being hands-on parents, fought a lot for custody of young men having their, their children an equal amount of time or sometimes more than the moms in certain circumstances and really trying to promote the, the, the feeling that children have a right to exposure to both of their parents. So tell us, I mean, I know you've been doing this for a while. Tell us a little bit for, about why you have tended to represent men and are such an advocate for men and uh, founded Divorce Lawyers for Men. Well, going way back into the 80s when the idea of a father getting primary custody was a crazy thought. We started advocating for men that were were good fathers, men that wanted to be you know the primary person in their children's life, but they were situationally disadvantaged. That they were by tradition the primary breadwinner, the primary source of income, and then by tradition pushed into a secondary role in parenting. 
And so they, they went into a divorce proceeding disadvantaged. And we started working with them on how to capitalize on the strengths, how to show you know their role in parenting and why they can, in fact, be a primary custodian. Uh, we had some good luck with that. We had some very good fathers. Uh, we don't represent guys that want to dodge child support. Good. Uh, we, we represent men who want to be a primary role in the life of their child. And do you represent any women at all? We do represent a number of women, but quite bluntly, it's usually role reversal women. Right. Female breadwinners. Yes. Right. And they're facing the same uphill battle that most men face. Got it. I mean, I often make this argument in court for women and men that that a parent should not be prejudiced because he or she has a job. I mean, I I work full time (laughs) at two jobs and I have two kids and they're with me as much, if not more uh, than they're with their dads. And that has not been a preclusion for me raising well-adjusted sons and and kids that actually get to have a lot of face time with both of their parents. Uh, When you are taking the breadwinner female, do you have women that will say to you, clients that will say to you, I don't understand. This isn't fair. He's supposed to be the man. He's supposed to be the breadwinner. Well, most of the women uh, I've been representative are a little bit more self-actualized than that. <laughs> you know, they realize that they are the breadwinner. And as the breadwinner, the primary uh, provider of substance for the family, they want the same fair break that men have been asking for in the courtroom. Are you surprised when you have a man who comes into you and says, I'd like to have, you know, the majority of the custodial time. I was the stay home parent. And even though I think it's important that they see their mom, she's not around as much. It would be better for them to be with me than be with a nanny or a childcare provider. Actually up here in the state of Washington and, and just perhaps because of my um, marketing activities and, and the demographic of the clients that I'm representing, most of my families are two-income families. Got it. And so even though the wife is working outside of the home because of our, our social disparity, uh, they're usually not the primary occupation, primary breadwinner, but they're both out of the house. And so that makes it easier for me to argue for the men and advocate that they they have been active. And most of the men that we represent have already been active with their children. You know, it's just not a a brand new idea out of the blue sky. Right. They're asking us to protect what they already built, not manufacture something new. I like that. So let me ask you this, because I've actually had a couple like dual jurisdictional cases and they have been in California and in Washington state. You guys have much, much lower guidelines than we do down here. I mean, when you're talking about, you know, the extreme challenges that you face when you're looking at the support issues, have you done a comparison with other states? No, I predominantly stayed in the state of Washington. We looked at taking divorce lawyers for men nationwide. But as you well know, the the law changes so radically state to state. Yes. We've chosen just to stay in the state of Washington. And I will say this to to our listeners. I am on Divorce Lawyers for Men Instagram, and I'd say 95 to 98 percent of the stuff that I see on there could pertain to anybody. It's not necessarily – I mean, yes, you're absolutely right, Frank, that the the law – 
differs from state to state. And my example of the guideline support in California versus Washington state, I mean, it's huge. I, I, I'll get into it in a second. But most of the stuff that you guys have on there, most of the tips for dads, most of the things to think about, most of the reminders are completely nationwide. In fact, they're they're worldwide that people that are going through a split should be thinking about and taking to heart. So I, I definitely recommend listeners that you sign up for that if you're interested, because it does, it gives you, I wouldn't say it's a different perspective, but what it gives you is really a clue to the fact that things should be a bit more gender neutral and, and not being that way will cause a problem, I think, for our next generation. I think that the generations are improving, but it, the progress we're making isn't as great as I would like. When my daughter, who's 44, was three years old, we listened to an album called Free to Be Me, Free to Be You. No, Free to Be You and Me with Marlo Thomas. Love. Absolutely yes. correct. It's unfortunately that album is just as relevant today as it was when my 44-year-old daughter was three, and my office manager is buying it and playing it for her two daughters. That's true. We have not moved as quickly as we as we perhaps should be moving. I agree. We, we've made progress, but we have many miles to go in equality. Yes. Um, tell us a little bit about your co-founder. Um, is it Jean? Jeannie Sockle. Okay. So how do you guys know each other? Is she a partner at the firm as well? Yes, yeah, she's a partner at the firm. She actually came on as a legal assistant. Mm-hmm work for me as a legal assistant. And then the state of Washington has the law clerk program. Yes. And she was allowed to go through the law clerk program, which she ended up being uh, chairman for the Washington State Bar Association of the law clerk program. Uh, she's just a damn good trial lawyer and came up through the ranks, uh, sort of like an enlisted man mm-hmm. who goes to officer's training school. And by the time she passed the bar, uh, she had a full practice and a dynamite in the courtroom. I love it. And so, and when you guys came up with Divorce Lawyers for Men, that was just a natural offshoot of the work that the firm was doing? Yes. We had done a lot of medical malpractice work mm-hmm. and had scaled down our divorce work. But then um, a couple of friends of mine wanted to get divorced, and I didn't have anybody in town I was comfortable referring them to. And so Jeannie and I decided, well, Let's get back into the divorce business. Let's get in there fighting for men again. We've let that be on the sidetrack for too many years. Let's rebuild that and get because nobody stepped in and took up the battle we were fighting. Right. So, so we stepped back in and we're in the middle of it again. Do you think that the Washington family court system has gotten, I, I mean, I know in terms of equal pay for equal work and, and those kind of factors and the things that could or might be addressed by free to be you and me may not be there yet. Do you think that the Washington family law court system has done what it needs to do? Is it Has the needle moved, so to speak? I think the needle has moved in the court. And I'm 70 years old. The judges I was practicing before, you know, 43 years ago are dead. Were a, a different, <laughs> yeah, with your dad. Right. Uh, yeah, the, um, those men, and they were all men judges, had a different mindset. Right. And we, we do have more modern, progressive thinking uh, judges and court commissioners, but society hasn't changed as rapidly as the ju- judicial attitude. And the court is still restricted by the facts that are on the table in front of them. Right. And when you go in and the woman has been the primary care provider because the husband has been, you know, busting as hard as he can at, at work, it, the dice sort of start getting cast. Right. And we've mentioned it before that if 
if the woman gets initial custody, the house is going to go with the kids. The better car is going to go with the kids. You know, um, the furniture is going to go with the house. So the husband is, is put out to go find someplace else to live, but the family bills still have to be paid. And so that's where guys start um, feeling that they're treated unjustly, but it's because of the situation that society already created. Right. Now, the fact is, most women are the primary care provider. And that's a fact that's very hard to overcome when you go in the courtroom. Right. And so, again, when you are going into the courtroom, is it, is it your first, I mean, obviously every case is different, but is it the first thing that you're going to prove is to say, in this household, both parents work outside of the home and both parents are very hands-on in terms of, you know, homework and mealtime and bathing and, and you know, bedtime stories. And if it's younger children, diapering and childcare, is that what you go in and say? Yes. Okay. And before that, and again, I'm talking to a trial lawyer who does this for a living, we sit down with our clients and ask them to really do some self-inspection, uh, some self-thought. What is it that you really want? What is it that you really think you can handle? You're telling me you want to be at least co-parenting, if not primary parenting. Can you handle it? Right. With your career, is this pie in the sky? You know, are we asking for something that you can't deliver if we win? And so we do some real reality checks on our clients before we go in and advocate for equal or dominant custody. How much do the kids and their preference, assuming they're of an age that they can actually articulate a preference, come into it in Washington State? I have clients ask me all the time, well, my kids are 14. They can they can say now what they want, right? And I say, well, they can state a preference, but I don't know that it's going to make a difference. We speak a lot on this show about co-parenting and how co-parenting works, particularly if parents have different views on things like discipline or use of devices, etc. How does, how does the best interest of the children and their preference come into play? The state of Washington relies very heavily on guardian ad litems, mm-hmm. and most of the custody issues are fought out with the guardian ad litem, and the guardian ad litem provides a, a very detailed report to the court commissioners who are greatly influenced by those GAL reports. And it's through the GAL that we're able to get the children's preference in. So the kids aren't going in telling the judge what they want. Right. The kids are talking to the GAL and explain why they want to be with dad, you know, why, why they feel better with dad. And then we get that embedded into the report. And so we get the children's preference in, but indirectly through the GAL report. And is every custody case assigned guardian ad litem for the children in Washington State? Just about everyone, unless there is just, you know, absolute agreement. Okay. And the, the parents are, are lockstep on what's best for the kids, and they're doing agreed orders. And is that something for which the state pays, or do the parents pay for the guardian ad litem as well? The state pays for nothing. I'm surprised we don't pay for the judge up there. <laughs> okay, so when you're getting divorced in the state of Washington and you've got kids, you've got you generally will be lawyering up both sides and then also find it. Now, is, we do it differently down here. We, if, we, if need be, will have a child custody evaluation. And so that would be our GAL who would you know, go to the home, do a home visit, speak with collateral, speak with the kids. Does each child have a different guardian ad litem or is it their one, one that's assigned or that is hired for the children? 
in nearly you know ninety nine percent of the cases one GAL. Okay. It's just too expensive. Sure. Okay, and so then they make their report, and the judge, I mean, I don't want to say he or she rubber stamps it, but they really are very heavily influenced, as they are here with child custody evaluators. If the GAL, the guardian item, has a decent respect by the court, mm-hmm. the GAL is going to get 500 times more input than the judge could get in 10-minute oral arguments. Of course. And bringing the kids in to court is just almost never, ever happens. It's just unacceptable. I agree. And is the guardian ad litem, is that an attorney or is it somebody that has a mental health background? 40 years ago, it was psychologists. Mm -hmm. But over that 40 years, it's evolved and it's almost all attorneys. Got it. And there's, that's like a specialty up there. That's what you kind of... They're they're more collaborative law attorneys, Mm -hmm. not, not real litigators. Let's talk about that for a second. What is Washington State's kind of feeling about collaborative law, mediation, some of the things that you and I don't necessarily deal with as much being litigators? Collaborative law really hasn't caught on. It's it's spoken about, but is seldom pursued. It just hasn't been that, that positive. Mediation, we resolve the vast majority of cases by mediation. Mm-hmm. There's not that many of them that actually go into full litigation. Well, it's prohibitively expensive. Yes. Yes. And a, and a crapshoot. Right. You say, and I love this on your website, treating divorce, it's important to treat divorce like an important business transaction. And I tell that to clients all the time, women and men. Sometimes I feel, and I won't say the men, but I will definitely say the the earning spouse is better able to do that because they may be more in a business world. They may may feel like they have more to lose. They may really feel the clock ticking as every moment goes by on the phone or in a meeting with their attorney. Have you seen differences between how the genders are able to kind of compartmentalize or treat their divorce like a business transaction, Frank? I probably have a prejudiced perspective, (laughs) again, because of the women that I'm working with. Right. Now, they, they are executives. Right. Now, they're, they're business women. Are, we don't represent that many, quote, unquote, housewives or homemakers. Right. And so we're not dealing with that mindset or, or that social background. We're dealing more with business-oriented people. And oddly enough, with all of my attorneys statewide, I beat on them to keep the cost down, to be cost-effective, because I think divorce is outrageously expensive. And we do everything we can to keep the cost down because our clients can't afford that. Right. I've looked at 5,000 family budgets. I've never seen family law lawyer (laughs) in any family budget. That's because you don't live in Southern California, dude. That's built right into the budgets here. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Okay. Uh, you guys are better planners. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, there may be also more disposable income to waste on luxury items like your family law attorney to have on retainer. Tell us a little bit about how you will start with a client when he or she comes into you. I know you have a lot on your website about pre- preparation and education. I'm so into that. Tell our listeners a little bit about what you would say to a prospective client about what he or she kind of needs to get up to speed on in order to make your role as the attorney the most valuable as possible. Well, first of all, we use legal assistance very aggressively, paralegals. Mm-hmm because they cost half as much as a lawyer costs per minute. And they help prep the 
prospective client, a potential new client, and do a couple of phone calls with them and tell them what to bring in, get them to tell them to make a list, make, a, make their questions, to start thinking about their priorities. So the client's pretty well locked and loaded by the time I or one of the attorneys meet with them. And then the first thing we go through is their priorities. You know, what are you willing to fight for? You know, uh, what are you willing to give up and walk away from? And just go down and start on a business-like manner putting together a business plan. Now, how are we going to attack this? How are we going to minimize the damage? I tell them right up front, nobody gets out of a divorce undamaged. My job is damage control to limit how badly we get hurt in this. Right. Because everybody's going to get hurt. Now, what are your what are your priorities? And then we talk to them about cost. They say attorneys are outrageously expensive. You know, and we, we hold the chit-chat to a minimum. Mm-hmm. And I tell them right up front, you know, chit-chat costs the same amount as good legal advice. You know, you're not here to make a new friend. You're here to get good legal representation. Now, when I sit down with my CPA, it's all business. And I don't chat with him about water skiing. Right. Are you a water skier? Yes. Okay. Where do you where do you do that up there? Isn't it cold? It's cold. We wear wetsuits. Oh, okay. Huh. Uh, unfortunately, I have, unfortunately I have a huge Puget Sound in front of my house. Beautiful. And a ski boat tethered out front. Got it. I was up there a few weeks ago. It is just gorgeous. It is on a sunny day. You can't beat the Pacific Northwest. That is true. It's just, just you have to have find a sunny, sunny day. day. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let me ask you a question about guideline support. And I, I don't know about you guys up there. Here in California, there is a very intricate formula for guideline support, spousal and child. And a lot of things are factored into it. We have a program that we use as a support calculator. It spits out a number. Even my most mathematically inclined colleagues and forensic accounting friends have not really quite been able to figure it out. But um, I will say this. I have a case that originated in Washington State. The couple at the time had two kids, and mom, I think, was more than 50%. It was probably more like 75, 25. It might have been 50. In any event, mom was a stay-at-home mom. Dad worked. Dad was a high earner, um, like real high earner, probably in the you know almost $10 million a year range. And the support order for the two children was about $2,500 a month. This did not include spousal. Does that sound right to you? Yes. Our, we've got a very simplistic formula, and you just put in the net income of both of the parents and then calculate what the total child support would be based on that combined income, and then the custodial parent is paid the percentage of the total child support that the non-custodial parent's income equals. Well, that is easy. That, that It's very easy, except you can manipulate it a little bit, not a whole lot, because you can rig what your net income is. Well, that's what I was going to ask. What comes off besides taxes? Do you have business? I mean, here, you know, we have a lot of people that have to pay commissions to agents and lawyers and, and business managers. I'm guessing there may not be as much of that up there, but what kind of expenses come off the top when you're figuring out the net? Predominantly the taxes, mm-hmm. but then you can do, you can rig it a little bit by, uh, if the guy plans ahead or the woman plans ahead a bit, and do accelerated voluntary retirement program, mm-hmm. because retirement program is deductible from net income. 
But you'd have to have shown that that was happening prior to the separation, correct? correct? Got it. Correct. All right. So anyway, to finish the story about this couple, one of the kids aged out. He went away to college. Family moved down to California. And with the same income and the same timeshare, but only one child, the guidelines child support amount was about $65,000 a month from 2500 That's where Washington's system is defective. We are a middle-class state, right? and our child support program is set up for middle class. Right. It doesn't work for high income, and you've got a petition for a deviation, right? which is allowed. The, the court's very reluctant to do it, but on the case like you're, you're explaining, they should have moved for a deviation and most probably would have been awarded a deviation. Got it. And, and just... on deviations, you, show, you try to go and show... What have we been traditionally spending on these kids? Historic. So that yeah. the, so it's not a matter of the parents split up and now all of a sudden the children's lifestyle is greatly reduced. Correct. And on the flip side, listeners, here in Cal- Southern California, we don't necessarily just dole out the $65,000 a month for the kid because if you are an extraordinarily high earner, then what payor parent would do is petition the court for you know, a deviation from that guideline and really go back to what the child reasonably needs. Similarly, we're not supposed to base on historic, but what the reasonable needs of the child are. So you see that the law does kind of fold into it how we're not trying to just fit square pegs into round holes, how there will always be people that are kind of in a different situation that's thought of. But it is interesting, that that kind of difference. Alexa isn't the only one with breaking news. Make sure to hang around at the end of this podcast for the latest breaking headlines on the AP News Minute. Hey, I'm Heather Morris. And I'm Ava Bernstein Mitchell, a.k.a. Ava Flav. And we're the hosts of the new show, The Dance, Dance Room. Room, on Podcast One. We're veteran dancers and choreographers that have worked with the likes of Beyonce, Justin Timberlake, Britney Spears, and many more. Oh, and you know, I used to be on this little show called Glee. Hey. I don't know if you watched it. Well, each week we're going to go full out on our favorite TV dance shows like So You Think You Can Dance, Dancing with the Stars, and World of Dance. So don't miss it. Get new episodes of The Dance Room every Thursday on Apple Podcasts and Podcast, Podcast One. One. I'm Laura Wasser, the host of Divorce Sucks. I work two full-time jobs. Well, three, actually, if you count parenting my two sons, which is a full-time job. It's not easy, but it is rewarding because I see every day the effects of our actions to change the way people look at their relationships. An ending is also a beginning. We call this the evolution of dissolution. And today's guest is the co-founder of Divorce Lawyers for Men. His name is Frank. If you haven't already, check out their Instagram feed at Divorce Lawyers for Men to find inspirational memes and quotes for guys and dads. I've been a follower for a really long time, and I totally dig it. Also, the website, DivorceLawyersForMen.com, provides straightforward information about family law, child custody, and spousal support, not just in Washington State, where Frank practices, but pretty much nationwide. Today, we're talking about divorce from the male perspective, and I'm going to roll a tape from... Divorce Rules for Men. Rule number one, you want it, keep it. Hi, I'm attorney Frank Morris. I've been trying and winning family law and divorce cases for over 35 years. During those 35 years, I've developed several rules that help my clients to win. Divorce rule number one, if you want it, keep it. 
This is my favorite rule. If you want the family home, do not voluntarily move out. If you want custody, stay with the kids. If you want a particular item, like my Harley, take it with you when you leave the family home. Or if she's leaving the family home, put your treasures in a safe location where she cannot grab them on the way out. It's a lot easier for your lawyer to argue for you to keep the items that are in your possession than it is for your lawyer to argue, take it away from her and give it to him. Early temporary possession has a habit of becoming permanent possession. So if you want it, keep it from day one. I like that. Frank, there you are. You look good for 70. When did they shoot that, Frank? Come on. Was it more than 10 years ago? No, it was about three years ago. Okay. All right. Go, Frank. So you got a Harley. You water ski in the sound in a wetsuit. You're my kind of a guy. So when I'm not playing lawyer, I get to live a a very fun-filled life. That's good. That's good. You work hard. You play hard. Give us a couple other common sense rules guys or, or, or women can use to survive divorce from somebody who's been doing this for over 30 years. And, and the rules apply to both sides. Yes. Yeah. Uh, divorce lawyers for men, we, we phrase it gender bias. But if you take the gender bias out, it, the rule helps anybody get through divorce. And, God, we've had tens of thousands of people watch our video on rules to survive divorce. And with every one of our clients that come in, we make them sit down and watch it. And it's just common sense stuff. And I already mentioned one, don't waste time when you're talking with your lawyers. Right. That we're not your friends. Too much. Exactly. Yeah. Be concise. Don't ramble. You know, come in with a list of questions. Tied with that is rule three, think and plan. You know, act. Don't react. You know, think about what you want in divorce. Make a, uh, a priority list and be prepared to go into the divorce meeting with your attorney on a business-like basis. Now, a rule that some attorneys disagree with me, but my rule number four is file first. I think the petitioner has a slight advantage that you start the action. Uh, the other side is responding to the game plan that you've put out. The court reads your petition first, reads your motion first, your lawyer talks first. So I think there is some advantage to being the petitioner, even though a lot of our clients say, well, I don't want to file, I don't want to file. I'll say, all right, let's talk, let's get you into counseling. But if a divorce is going to occur, it's slightly better to be the one who files and gain the position of the petitioner rather than, I like the term respondent, because all you're doing is responding right. all the time. Totally and agree. A, a rule I like, number five, and I beat on this quite a bit with my clients, temporary orders have a habit of becoming permanent. And a lot of lawyers will say, oh, don't worry about the temporary orders. It's just preliminary. It's just a start. Well, when you lose in round one, why are you going to win in round two? So we prepare for temporary orders just the same as we prepare for trial. Now, I like winning right out of the box and then continuing that. Got it. Some of the advice we give clients is rule number six. Don't say anything to your wife that you don't want repeated to a judge. Now, that the best evidence against you often comes out of your mouth. Or texting. Or, and right there, don't write a letter or a text or an email that you don't want a judge to read. We can't tell them to change things because that's not appropriate. But you say, think about what you put on Facebook. Absolutely. Think about what you put in social media. I've had too many of those shown back to me in blow-ups at trial. Yes. 
Has that been, has that in the last, I'd say, 10 years, you think texting and, and um, emailing and social media have become big issues for, for your clients and for your, you, you practitioners at your firm? Huge. Yeah, me too. We, we strongly regulate all social media. You know, people just say stupid things on social media. Yep. Yeah, how, and- how big a part of your practice is domestic violence in terms of accusations, allegations, or actual domestic violence taking place? A small percentage. Okay. Again, because we're marketing in a bit of, bit of more high-end and just not that much domestic violence. Good. But there's a ton of it, ton of it out there. Yeah, no, and, and we are seeing it seeping kind of into higher socioeconomic brackets. And again, some of it is real, and some of it um, is allegations to garner favor with a court or get that leg up that you were talking about when you were speaking about getting temporary orders that seem to stick. That's first impression. We just finished a, a very difficult case representing a military sergeant with a small, cute wife who was accusing him with all sorts of abuse and violence and with some really good out-in-the-street research and investigation, we were able to document that she was actually the violent party. It's the, always the small, her. cute ones, isn't it, Frank? With a gun. Oh, so a small, cute one with a gun is an entirely different animal. Jesus. They, they get much bigger with a gun. Yes. And kicking down the door... Uh, tried to get to him, and he's got the kids behind him oh dear. trying to protect the kids, and he's trying to hold the door shut, and then he's thinking, what if she starts shooting through the door? Right. So we were, but if you just went very superficially and had the, the attractive young woman up there saying that this big guy, you know, like 6'4", you know, 230, right. you know, has been beaten on her for years, you, know, you, you would start to buy that right away. Exactly. Another one we tell them is rule number seven. Yes. Lead the life that you say you lead. That don't don't go acting out and have your real activities be different than what your lawyer's telling the court. Now, if you're saying you can't afford to pay certain bills, don't go out and buy a new car. Right. You know, don't go to a Las Vegas vacation. Be on time for visitation. You know, don't make excuses for not seeing your kids. You know, that your life should be what your lawyer is reporting to the court. Do you have a lot of guys that come in and say, the most important thing is my kids. I need to have joint custody. I need to be able to see them exactly half the time. This is so important to me. And then somehow these desires fall by the wayside once they've actually gotten that order of 50-50 custody? Again, we're pretty fortunate that most of the people have gone to our website. They've read our divorce guide. They've read our rules. And so before they, they come in, before we take them on, and they, we've got the reputation that we're fighting for guys that really want custody right. and really want to honor that. And so we also vet them pretty good. Okay. You know, and we're telling them, don't have me go in and fight a battle that you don't want. Right. You know, you know, or I don't can't want handle. Or that you can't live with. Right. And sometimes that's hard because the, the father's saying, I want, I want, I want. And then you say, all right, now let's get back to reality. Right. I mean, maybe no. he really does want it. That's just not the reality. I agree. I think that's really, really farsighted of you to be able to explain that because I think that's important for all parents to know. You know, don't bite off more than you can chew because what you're going to end up doing is really hurting your kids. And arguing on the other side, I have a lot of empathy for professional women who are being motivated to, for co equal, move forward, 
you know, create a dynamic career, and then they lose their uphill position on custody. Mm -hmm. Now, because they went out and did what everybody's telling them to do today, to be co-equal and aggressive and get your career moving and shaking, you know, you're co-equal. They say, oh, but now you don't have any favorite position for keeping your kids. Right. And I still think in our society that any woman who is not granted primary custody, too many people look at her as defective. What was wrong with her? Joe Sally didn't even get custody of her kids. Wonder what she was doing. Right. And so that's a that's an unfairness for women that even though some women know that they shouldn't be primary custodian, they still feel like they have to fight for it or they'll be tainted. Have you seen parents, women or men, who were initially the breadwinner, not necessarily the hands-on parent, who became much better parents as a result of a separation or divorce, really being put in a situation where they ha- they were the person, at least during whatever their period of custodial time was, made them a better parent? Yes, quite a few, actually. And one of them was early on in my practice that one of my colleagues went through a really ugly divorce and won custody of a second grader and a fourth grader. And he changed his practice, and he practices law from 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. And has someone there to get the kids off in the morning, but he's home every day when the kids get out of school. Amazing. I love that. Frank, you're an attorney, so I know you're more than familiar with discovery and the form interrogatories we attorneys use to gather relevant information incident to actions which lead to litigation. These are the Divorce Sucks interrogatories, which are much shorter and way more fun than the ones you may be used to. Frank, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? No. <laughs> are you, Frank, come on. Humor me here. Yes, I will tell the truth. Okay. Are you single, married, or divorced? Divorced. Of course, because you got a Harley. Well, I didn't even need to ask that question. Okay. What is your favorite breakup song? I can see clearly now. <laughs> I can see clearly now the rain is gone. (laughs) What would you say to cheer up a friend going through a breakup? I would say, let's go out and have a beer and think about what we're going to do next year, not think about what you've been stuck with for the last year. Yeah, baby. And which romantic comedy could you watch on repeat? Divorce Wars, Uh a love story with Tom Selleck. I like it. And we don't get a lot of Tom Selleck references on this show, so thank you for that. Today's conversation is about the male perspective on breakups and divorce. Our guest today was the co-founder of Divorce Lawyers for Men, attorney Frank Morris. Frank, thank you very much for calling into the Divorce Sucks studio today. Please tell people where they can find you online. You can find us online at divorcelawyersformen.com. And in Washington State, you want to give them your number? 360-866-7393. And you can go to YouTube and Instagram at Divorce Lawyers for Men and actually get some really good legal advice to put you on the right track for divorce. Which is what we tell our listeners all the time. Educate yourselves, guys. No one's going to hand it to you on a plate. Go check it out. Thank you for listening, everyone. This is Laura Wasser, and I am hosting the Divorce Sucks podcast. We'd love to know your thoughts on what we talked about today. Do you think divorce is harder on men than it is on women? Leave a comment on iTunes and a review, and we'll keep the conversation going next week on Divorce Sucks. Thanks, Frank. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Goodbye. You'll never find another like me, Kiki.
With the Capital One Saver Card, you earn 4% cash back on dining and entertainment. That's 4% cash back on milkshakes with extra whipped cream. And 4% to get extra loud at the show. The Capital One Saver Card. Earn 4% on dining and 4% on entertainment. What's in your wallet? Hey guys, it's Taylor. You can buy my new album, Lover, at taylorswift.com. Terms apply. Capital One Bank, USANA.